0: You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. Today's Fry It Up with Augustus Cho, my guest is a man of many accomplishments. If an individual masters one aspect of life, that would be considered a success. But what do you call an individual who has mastered several, varied aspects of life? He could almost be a fictional character in a novel with multi-dimensional persona. Yet, my guest is real. In brief, to name just one area of accomplishment... My guest played college basketball as a center at the most competitive league in the country called the ACC, or the Atlantic Coast Conference, when he played for the North Carolina State University in Raleigh. Now, while he was in college, many uh, college athletes major in parks and recs, or typically communications, for various reasons, but my guest actually completed got his degree in, of all things, applied mathematics. Not surprisingly, he was also named first team All-American academics, or as they say, first team academic All-America. As if that was not enough, he came back to school and got a master of science in analytics, also at NC State University. All the while, he turned down a Rhodes Scholar nomination to be Professional basketball player in the NBA. And he actually went in the first round and played for 11 seasons. Then his life went on from there. With that auspicious and amazing introduction and accomplishment, we welcome to the Fry It Up Podcast the one and only Todd Fuller. How are you, Todd?
1: I'm doing well, Augustus. Thanks. And thanks for that kind introduction. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> I think it's all true. <laughs> You were quite an accomplished individual uh, to achieve everything that you did. You know, I wrote a book just for fun on bodybuilding called The Intellectual Jock uh, by a couple of decades back, and it's on Amazon. And I always felt that one could actually be an, intel- an intelligent person and a jock. Or in the, I guess, the politics of college sports to be a student athlete in the truest sense. Now, there was one person named Bill Bradley of Princeton University, who was also a Rhodes Scholar and a former Neo York Knicks, uh, basketball player who actually fits that bill. And then later on, you came along and filled that, filled that role to a T in your generation. Because you are one of the handful of people who have actually epitomizes the term student athlete while you are at NC State. How does that make you feel?
1: Well, again, thanks for those compliments. To me, it, it was an honor just When I still look back on that time 30 years ago at NC State as a student-athlete, I really – I can't forget how blessed I really was and and am to this day just to be able to play the sport that I love and what I believe is the best basketball conference in the nation, as you said, ACC. And to get a good education and to to do all all of those things – for those four years. And then you would have to pinch me, you know, to tell me way back then that, hey, you'd be going back to the same university, you know, going into the Institute of Advanced Analytics to get my master's um, in analytics. you have to pinch me to, to kind of tell me, hey, you, you'd be doing that, Todd, in 20 years after you graduated from NC State the first time. And I just feel I'm blessed, Augustus, to have, been through all that and there are a lot of smart guys um not only at nc state but you know it was played the game of basketball and i I had a lot of great teammates uh just talked to one of them in nc state just talked to one of them several weeks ago who's an engineer he's a civil engineer a smart guy there's a lot of smart guys that that play this game and Done a lot of neat things and I'm just fortunate like I said and blessed to be able to just to keep pushing is to keep trying new things and pushing the barriers and trying new frontiers if you will and and keep trying to expand my skill set and um just not to be content to be content with what I've achieved and accomplished um yes but not just to be content to sit on my heels and rest on my laurels and, and not try new things and expand and pick up new talents and abilities and things like that.
0: Now, I appreciate your humility, but I don't want you to underestimate your accomplishment. Just not only in playing basketball at a, such a high level at NC state, but also it's really difficult to be a student athlete. Because so much of your time during a season is taken up through practice, getting ready for practice and then, and after practice, all those things. How did you manage that?
1: Well, you just gave the clue right there, the time, time management. And that's a great question. I can ask you, I get asked that question quite often, um, especially when I was in the thick of the four years, but even to this day, other athletes, student student athletes, will ask me that. Have gone off to college. It really just boils down to those two words: time management. And I would add a little bit to that of having the right friends. And I was fortunate to, to handle both well. To me, it, it really was kind of setting a schedule, getting up, having breakfast, going to a class, knocking out my classes for the day, knowing when practice was. Know what I had to do for each class, what I had to do in the short term, and then what I had to do two weeks and then four weeks down the road. And then at the end of the day, when I accomplished the goals for the day, I would you know, kick back and go down to Miami Subs and get the $3.19 burger combo with fries and play a little Tecmo ball on the, on the Nintendo. That's, that was the game back then, 25-something years ago. But it was managing that time and then really just, incentivizing to myself, giving myself a little reward each day if I was able to, to, to accomplish what I needed to do for class and, you know, in, 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 in practice too that day.
0: You know, I hung around a lot of college athletes when I was in school and I went down, I, was, I went to school about 30 miles west of you. And, you know, a lot of athletes didn't even show up to class. You know, much less study. So whenever I see an an athlete actually show up in class and study, that was pretty impressive. It said a lot about their self-discipline and evidently you had it, but it wasn't easy, was it?
1: And to be honest with you, I didn't really look at it if it was easy or hard. I looked at it as it's, this is what I need to do. if, If that makes sense. It, it, uh, I guess you could say there were certain days that were a little harder and certain days that were a little easier, but I just, I didn't overcomplicate it. I said, look, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z during time slot one, two, and three for this day. And if I can do those things, chances are good. If not great, I'll expand my horizons, if you will, my set in the class, in the classroom and on the court and just, also, I made it a, a mindset to get to class really um, every day. Now we all know as an athlete, ten to fifteen times a year, depending on road schedules, you're not able to get to class. But on those days, um, I didn't. I won't say I panicked. I didn't do that because I knew they were coming. But if you again the time management, the planning thing, you know, fifteen or so days a year, I had to miss. I got up with my professors. In fact, one of the professors I had, I was an applied mathematics major, um, was the head statistician, Augustus for our basketball team, Dr. John Griggs. And he was the head stats guy for 20, 30 years. He just retired a few years ago. And that was really neat. Looking back that if I had, there was one or two courses that I had him as a professor. So if I was stuck on a concept, I remember there was a couple times, and in fact, there was one trip, we went to the Great Alaska Shootout. It was, I believe my sophomore year at NC State. And this is 5,000 miles away from Raleigh. And you know I brought my work and before one of the games, uh, Dr. Griggs and I just sat in his hotel room at a desk and uh, I got some tutoring and, and got things done, even though I was on the road and not in the classroom. So it, I know what school you're referring to, 30 miles away, and then of course, Nobody could ever imagine the, uh, well, I call it the the fake class situation there, but (laughs) that that didn't come up until 15 something years after I graduated. But that to me was just, when I heard about that, I was like, wow, I mean, guys that really regularly did not go to class and that it was just totally foreign to me. And I know there were many guys on my team at NC State, a couple of them, like I said, one of them was a civil engineer, they, they went to the class. It was just something you, you did. And um, even with this analytics program, I had to go to class. Uh, even in, you know, in the 21st century, we have virtual learning and especially at the graduate level, as you know, there's many online options, but at NC State, their analytics program, Masters of Analytics was 100% in person. So I had to 20 years later, go back, but this time take four other people with me, my wife and three kids, and move back to Raleigh. It's just ingrained to me now at this point that my best chance for success in in terms of learning is being physically in the classroom. Now, of course, I've learned to do webinars and things like that and learn virtually, but just the the collaborative aspect of other students, uh, learning from them I know when I was back in my master's program, I thought, well, man, I'm going to be one of the older, fellows, older students in, the, in my 40s. And I was, I think it was the third or fourth oldest student in the program. And I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll probably kind of know it all. And there are just 20-somethings that you're just like No, know. I was just blown away by how smart these 20-somethings were in this master's program. I learned a lot from them about computer programming, little things in Excel, SAS, R, and you know, all this cool stuff. So just that collaborative aspect of being in
0: person is something I've learned to value. I understand. As a former college athlete, when you look back in retrospect and analyze and look at the uh, contemporary college programs, is there any academic integrity left in college sports today?
1: <laughs> kind of put me on the spot, there, which is fine. Yeah, sure. I believe that there is. It, um, and I'll just speak truthfully. It, it, it's disappointing to hear. Um, I mean, I don't care if it's North Carolina, or whoever the university is. You just hate to hear something like that. Because, look, this is the bottom line. I've taught for five years, too. I'm a licensed, what they call SP2 in North Carolina, certified, I'm sorry, standard professional level two grades nine through twelve math teacher. I did that for five years. So I've been on both sides, of course, as a student for a long time, but also as a teacher. And it um, where was I going with this? It it's academic the rigor, Yeah,
0: the academic rigor.
1: That's the word that I'm, I'm almost forgot about. You you have to have rigor to stretch your horizon. And you know, even if these classes these universities have are legit. Uh, there's gotta be a certain minimum amount of rigor or you start asking yourself, what is the student gonna learn or accomplish if there's not at least some minimal set of rigor to
0: that course. I imagine you in the college, not only to play basketball, but also for pedagogical reasons actually to learn. But do you find many of the athletes have no interest in, in learning just wanted to uh, use sports as a uh, stepping stone to their professional field
1: oh sure there's no doubt there's there's plenty now personally I know yeah you know, I've been fortunate in NC state um, I have a couple of friends that played basketball at Carolina um, you know, I knew Eric Montrose he played center he's a Carolina he's a sharp guy I mean he wanted to he to, to learn and advances education. Um, so I don't wanna, you know, you brought up the uh, school 30 miles to the west of Raleigh. It, it really is the individual. Every school will have NC State. I, you know, I don't know a certain player that just wants to be there to go to the NBA and has zero interest in academics, but really it's the individual. Uh, the university can certainly cultivate that. And I think when I was there at NC State, at the time, Wes Robinson and his staff, were certainly big on the educational aspect as was i you know i when i went off playing the NBA was just a dream Uh, it was a dream when i went when i arrived on campus day one back in august of 1992 augustus it was still a dream and so i knew if i wanted to have the opportunities in life i had to be an education it really wasn't until Halfway through my four years, roughly into my junior year, that I realized that hey, you know, basketball could be a, a good job for me. Um, but I still, at that time, was like, hey, I'm still going to finish halfway or more through this academic program. I, I want to finish it strong so I can have that opportunity. Because you know, you've heard this before. You're not guaranteed, no matter how much talent you have in basketball. Or sport, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, one major injury away and that score is is done for you
0: and we will be right back after this important message You know, on behalf of uh, North Carolina, um, I think under Dean Smith's program, 90% of the players graduated. And of course, who didn't graduate would come back after uh, once they got into the NBA, they would finish out through the summer school courses, that sort of thing. So they do ultimately end up. So, keeping, uh, keeping with that, what is your thought on uh, the new NCAA pressure to pay students to play, making them almost a semi pro?
1: Oh, wow. The uh, What do they call it, NIL or something? Um, the, what's yeah. the three-letter? Li-
0: yeah. Licensing and imaging, all those things.
1: Yeah. there's. I just met a friend of mine. Who, he's my age. He played at Pembroke State University mm-hmm. near Fayetteville. We, we met um, at a sports card show in Jacksonville, North Carolina on Saturday and had dinner and watched the NC State Clemson football game.
0: I was there and- two hours before you were there.
1: yeah i heard uh yeah i just missed you (laughs) um but uh mike um he somebody asking that question and he has a great perspective as a prep sports he's an athletic director been in one for 25 years and really it just it brings up a lot of question marks because here's the issue and mike brought it up succinctly in that you know you got this one guy on your team in college who's, you know, getting that million dollars, there's an athlete, I forgot his name, that Mike brought up that, um, you know, had this million dollar business deal in college. Well, if you're on that team, you start to think, well, what do I need to do? Because really, 20 years ago, when I was playing, 25 years ago, there was a business component to, to, to collegiate basketball, no doubt but nothing like today. I mean, it really is a business. So, so the players, they see that and they think, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to get up more shots? Do I need to, uh, and you start to get into that and, and, and you got to wonder, okay, at what point is this just going to become professional basketball um, at the collegiate level when, when the players at the collegiate level are seeing the one guy on the team who's got a million dollar business deal, because let's face it, at the business level, the businesses, they're not stupid. They're going to go out for the one guy or maybe the two guys on the team that can make the money. These businesses are smart. They have their own analysts uh, who figure out, hey, if you go out after this player with this amount, it will help may help your business X amount of dollars. They're not going to give opportunities equally to everybody in the collegiate team. That's what happens in pro sports. So I'm just a little concerned, if not quite a bit of concern of how this is going to, um, I'm, I'm happy for these guys that are getting paid. You know, they bring big bucks to the university. Let's face it, especially basketball and football. We know those are the two money-making sports. Um, and certain names and likenesses at those universities bring the fans and the TV, the television, but it's, um, how much do you start blurring the lines between amateur collegiate sports and professional? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds over the next several years.
0: I agree. It's, NCAA is almost becoming like a a, minor, a baseball's minor league, you know, farm team uh, to groom these players. But there are some lot of complicated issues that needs to be resolved. But on the other hand, you know, you you had teammates who were struggling economically because they didn't have they didn't come back uh, come from a middle class background, and they didn't they not really want to go out and spend on weekends at times. So there is that argument. But mm. the big picture, uh, how do you think this is going to end up?
1: Whoa, uh, it's been the spot to make a prediction. Uh, the the first word I was going to say is I don't know if somebody made me. Um, put a gun to my head and say, Hey, you got to get a prediction. You just can't sit on the fence here. I think there's going to be modifications to this that I don't, I think there's going to be, I, I can see both sides of the argument, you know, Calipari would have Kentucky. Um, <laughs> he's a big believer in you get the guy and he makes no bones about it. You get the guy in for a year. If he comes yep. from a disadvantaged economic background and his family, I get that, you know, you you're only an athlete for so long the body gives out long before the mind does so you want to try to help yourself out economically but i think it's going to get to a point where um there's always unintended consequences especially when the rules are put in place that really don't have any data to them if that makes sense or track history there's going to be modifications made that's what i see happening um two to four years from now, if not sooner, or the, the, they'll keep this NLI policy going, but dot, 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 there'll be some rules or, or some structure to it, or additional rules and structure. I think that's the way it's gonna, it's gonna turn out to be.
0: I guess we'll end up, happy, we'll just we'll wait and see how it play, plays out. Exactly. One last, one last issue that always bothered me about NCA, also, and I'm asking you these questions, because you, you've been there and you've seen it from the inside out. It always bothered me that colleges, would recruit foreign foreign students from overseas to play for their schools, and I get the indiv- the individual stories. But I just felt like you know we have enough American basketball players who deserve an opportunity to play for universities in America. Yeah, we see all these uh, players from foreign countries taking place, and they they do well, and of course the school does well, you know. And but they give away scholarships to these players. I, that bothers me for some reason, but. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I'm not you – know, I think that's just the function of talent. You know, that started in the NBA, if you remember, in my draft class, well, it started a little bit in Garnett in the class of 95, and then, you know, with my class of 96 in the NBA, that's when they say – many will say the floodgates open to international players because they started real – in the high school, uh, the younger players too – Of Kobe coming out and of course Darnett the year before and then Jermaine O'Neal but also the foreign players so the the colleges are following the same mantra I don't think there's anybody saying well we we have to have X number X percentage of foreign players on our team these colleges scout I mean the pros scout the colleges scout and I think it's just a function of where they see the talent where that lies so you know I've got a son who's, who's nine years old and getting in the game of basketball and a daughter who's soon to be 12. She's gotten a lot more in the game of basketball in the last 10 months. My third child is a little too young. But they're, they're all athletic. But I'm going to say to them, they're as American as apple pie. They were born and raised here in North Carolina. But just you know, if basketball or whatever sport interests them, you, you have to continue to work at it. And it's the little investment day by day in your skill set because at the end of the day, these colleges are going to offer scholarships to players that, you know, A, think they'll do good enough in the classroom, but B, just have the best talent at that position that they need, similar to what an NBA team might do when
0: offering contracts. Okay. Do you think since NCAA... It's not formally required that players play four years, that it has destroyed NCAA experience?
1: No, I don't think it's destroyed it. It's definitely changed the makeup, the look, taste and feel from if you sit and stop yourself and look at it from today at 2021 and for those of us like yourself and me and others that have been around and remember how it was in the eighties and nineties, then yes, there's a distinct difference because basically we know then guys basically stuck around usually for four years, but even so look back to the 1983, Michael Jordan played what one year at Carolina. Um, or he played he three. Left, yeah. He okay. left
0: after his junior year, but that was an exception.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, so and I stand James, corrected. He didn't go the full four years, but yeah. that was correct, an exception and not the rule. So I yeah. will. I,
0: yeah. James yeah. Worthy also went in 1982 yeah. as a junior, but he was also, I mean, Dean, Dean said that there's no more things I can teach you. So you might as well go to NBA, but that was also an exception. Part of the problem is that I've lost interest yeah. in NCAA uh, sports because especially basketball, because they play one year and they're done. And I don't get a chance to get to know them. Like when you were in school, we got to know yeah. you. We, we knew you for four years. We learned about the players and that sort of thing. And when you went off the NBA, we kept up with you. We missed you guys, that sort of thing. But now there's no bonding anymore. It's just you're here for one year, you're gone. So as a, as a fan, I have no vested interest in watching them anymore.
1: Well, that's true. There's no denying. I mean, it's totally accurate. You know, 20, 30 years ago, even the superstar collegiate athletes usually stuck around for the better part of the four years it may not like you said jordan was there three years worthy was there most of it. now you know these guys may be zion williams in and out in one year um it 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 has it has definitely adversely affected the um i'd say that like the camaraderie internally that the program may have with the, the the coach, the players, and the broader faculty and staff. Um, I think <laughs> – I hate to say it, but it's it's kind of now just becoming accepted in some places that, okay, this guy's talented enough and wants to go on. We only have him for a year or two, uh, but we may get the next guy, you know, coming down the pipeline who can replace him and give us another year or two. And we <laughs> –
0: This is the the Calipari's uh, philosophy of coaching (laughs) lab.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if there's, it's, uh, I want to say foreign to me. Even I'm just starting to get used to it. Just the, oh, Zion Williams is here. I don't think I really kind of learned who Zion Williams was until I was doing a workout. I remember the Dow YMCA in uptown Charlotte. It's their biggest Y here in Charlotte. I was, I hate to admit it, but it was kind of the season had been underway for several weeks. And it's December and I'm watching, I think Duke play Clemson. They're talking about Zion Williams, a super freshman and like, oh, who's that? Well, within three months, his college career is over. Um, I mean, usually you get to learn of a guy and he's there for at least three years. Um, I don't know. I just it just. Times are, they are changing. And I, the only way you can get that back is if you put another rule in play and mandate, you know, if the NCAA were to step in and enough voices, enough people spoke up and said Enough's enough, you got to stay in college at least, you know, if you sign a Division One scholarship or something like that, you have to stay for at least two or three years. I don't know. I don't know if I see that happening anytime soon at least.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Probably it's, it's a ship that has sailed, you know, if, you don't, if you're going to jump to NBA, then you might as well just do Carl Malone type of thing and just go from high school to NBA and be done with it so we don't, you don't bother with it. But these days, there's no vested interest for me to watch basketball teams because I don't even get a chance to get to know who they are. The old days when you were there, we really got to know the players. We really got to hear their thoughts. And that's why there was a bond there that connected you know, fans to the school and the players. And that's something that is missing today. The only institution that benefits from the system now is the NBA, because if yeah. college seems like a, just a farm system for the NBA,
1: that's exactly what I was going to say—a farm system. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> there's nothing I can really. <laughs> I
0: know.
1: It's <laughs> just the way it is, and uh, like you said, the ship sailed, and I just don't think there's going to be enough voices to, to speak out you're going to have probably at least as many want to keep it as it is. So that young man who wants to, you know, if, who needs the money needs coming from a family that needs the money, wants to jump in right away. For me, <laughs> you know, just for me, it was like my freshman year, it was like, Oh, well, I didn't get in the game. You know, <laughs> my sophomore year, I only got to play Augustus because Kevin Thompson, who was our starting center graduated. And I remember towards the end of my freshman season, Al Daniel. Uh, He's one of our assistant coaches, great guy, uh, him and Eddie coach Biedenbach. Um, they're not the only two assistants, but those two guys taught me a lot about the game just about life. But Al, coach Daniel, we were sitting, standing in the, the court. And he just talking him, him and I at the end of the court at, at, uh, at um, at our gym, <laughs> it's times have changed at, um, uh, um, uh, I want to say Carmichael, that's um, Carolina's old gym or our practice gym at NC State, Reynolds Coliseum. Thank you. We were standing in the north end of the basketball court at Reynolds Coliseum, and Coach Daniel looks to his left and looks to his right, and he knows this is our last game of that year, my freshman year. He said, hi, Kevin's graduating. Who else are we going to play next year? So I kind of had to play. I had to play some of my freshman year. Because we had several academic and eligibility yeah. issues, we had one player die uh, on our team. He took his own life. Uh, we were down. We had to suit up a manager at one point Augustus in my <laughs> freshman year. So I had to play. So I was yeah, kind going really... the fire, <laughs> but it worked out because I learned just to grow But by, by being in the fire. My sophomore year, I got pretty good, and my junior year, I got really good. Next thing I know, the NBA is an option. Yeah. So to me, and it wasn't. Like, let's go off to NC State and get in the NBA that next
0: year. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I hear you. And we will be right back after this important message. graduated from high school. The ceremony was held at Reynolds Coliseum back in the uh, mid '70s. Just so you know, so I know what you're talking about. All right, one last question about college basketball, and then we'll talk about you. And that is Coach K. Uh, He came when I was the fifth-year senior at Carolina. That was his first year. He and uh, what was uh, NC State's coach that came with him?
1: When when uh, Coach K came to Duke,
0: yeah, uh, the one that preceded uh, your coach. Well, actually think
1: Coach K came before Valvano.
0: They came the same year. They came in the same year because Valvano and Coach Jim, they
1: came yeah. at the same time. Okay, yeah,
0: nineteen eighty-one. I remember that yeah. year. Anyway, um, unfortunately, it, Coach K—I mean uh, Valvano—has passed away. Uh, he was a, he was a character, but Coach uh, K has been here for forty-two years, and you played against his team. Tell me, in your view, from as a player and as a former player, now as a former NBA player, what is Coach Case's legacy going to be, you think?
1: What is his legacy at Duke?
0: Well, yeah, Duke will be.
1: Well, not only a Duke, he's an icon, let's just face it, it, it when, you, when you think of Duke basketball now, you think of Coach Szechowski. I mean, who doesn't? Um, and, and when you broaden that out to that, ACC in college basketball he's left his mark his impression um I remember my first time meeting coach K was my freshman year we were actually playing Duke at home and that was coach Valvano's last game as an ABC sports the game was on ABC we were not a very good team that year we played a great game against Duke and and it was close down the end, and I actually got to play and did pretty well for the time that I had. And we, you know, listened to Coach Valvano's pre—that was the where he had the big uh, never give up speech on the floor right before uh, our game was at uh, Reynolds Coliseum, and then we played Duke. Well, after the game, we were down the bowels of Reynolds, down the locker room area, and. Uh, the, the, the visitors' locker room and NC State's locker room are right in Reynolds. were really close together, just a door to divide them. But sometimes the coaches would cross back and forth and talk. But Coach K came over and talked to Coach Robinson for a little bit, and then talked to a couple of players came over and talked to me before I jumped in the shower. And and he was very humble. You know, he, he's already somebody who had a lot of stature at that point in time. Had already won a. a, a a national championship or two by then and um, he just told me hey you played a great game i think you're going be a good player in this league and that gave me some confidence hearing that from him but he you know when you think of coach k you think of somebody who obviously knows a lot about the game he's an icon of duke basketball acc and collegiate basketball but he's also a humble guy too and is uh the kind of person you'd almost run into on the street if you didn't know basketball you you wouldn't know who he is kind of like almost like a john stockton yeah situation
0: yeah this is my personal observation and opinion i think once coach k put duke on the map with those national championships and he won the school's academic standing also went up according to us news and world report so i see a correlation between what coach k accomplished versus how the school was perceived by the country thereafter but that's just my opinion. So. Yeah,
1: it makes sense. I don't know if we can prove it uh, analytically. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, agree. I think it, it, it's, it's plausible.
0: All right, let's talk about you now. Thanks for uh, amusing me with your thoughts about uh, all those good questions that I've always had. Sure. Uh, you were from Fayetteville originally, is that right? That's where
1: I was born, yeah. um, in Fayetteville and raised there maybe a couple of years and then moved to Richmond, Virginia.
0: Were you, uh, does that mean that your parents may have been affiliated with the uh, army?
1: You're absolutely correct, yeah, they were close. Uh, armed Forces, my dad was at Pope Air Force Base. Uh, he was in the Air Force, so that's why we lived in Fayetteville. Then uh, after he was done with his duty, um, he got a civilian job and we moved to Richmond and then after there in Richmond a few years to Charlotte.
0: Well, oh, okay, how long was your father in the service?
1: I think uh, he was just enlisted, I believe. So I think, he did, I think he did four years in the Air Force. Never got uh, deployed to Vietnam.
0: Well, that's a, that's a good thing. I yeah. appreciate his uh, service in the armed forces. Uh, you eventually moved to Charlotte, right? And you attended, I guess, a couple of school, high schools there. And then one of them was independent high school. And why did you transfer from independent to uh, Charlotte Christian School?
1: Did I transfer from Independence to Charlotte Christian? It was a tough decision, I tell you. We had a really good team at Independence. We had two or three guys that went on to play Division I basketball, for example, Barry Candy. I went to play at Wake Forest. Um, And we were one of those teams picked to, if we all came back to um, compete for the 4A state championship. But I just, it was a combination of things. I, I remember coming home from, a practice or a game from independence and saying something to my dad um, about the coaching um, at independence. The basketball coaching was fine, but um, just to be honest, I didn't gel well, at least not then, with coaches that just tore into players. You just you know, used profanity and, and went right into the player. And I guess probably some of that was age, you know, being a 15-, 16-year-old sophomore um in, in high school it's a little different than when you're a 30 something year old man and you can deal with it being chewed out and cussed out but I remember just making a comment to my dad and he um I should be thanking my dad to this day but he said well he could have just let it go or say, hey just blow it off and you carry on and keep doing your thing in independence and I mean, things in independence would have worked out but he said look I know Bobby Jones is the coach at Charlotte Christian School. And I know he's a man of character, but also knows the game of basketball. And wouldn't that be a possibly great combination if you got into a system like that? So that's how it all started. And um, next thing I know, my dad called Charlotte Christian and put a few in a in or two. And we spoke to Coach Jones and a couple of staff people on the phone at Charlotte Christian. And I went for a visit. Um, by the way, the same fellow I was telling you about earlier in our Zoom here was Mike Oxendine, a friend of mine that I had met at Jacksonville just a few days ago where you were. He was my host. He was a, a junior uh, on the team. He took me around the campus and had my tour. I met Coach Jones. That was back in 1991, um, 30, 30, exactly 30 years ago. So I kind of fell in love with, with Charlotte Christian to an extent, but it took me six months to actually make the decision to transfer because I did like independence and had my base of friends there that I had basically went through public school with. But at the end of the day, I waited to almost literally a week or two before school started the next year, meaning my senior year. And I was like, look, I wanna go to Charlotte Christian and play under Bobby Jones. And it was a great decision looking back at hindsight I wish I would have held myself back um, and stayed there two years um but things worked out and that's why I you know I transferred to Charlotte Christian and um you know I still keep in touch with coach Jones as we still call him to this day um and just learned a lot under him not just about basketball but about life and family um in my faith it, uh,
0: through him and through Charlotte Christian School. Right now, there's another Bobby Jones. He's a, who's a great golfer, right? We're not talking about. him. we're talking about Bobby Jones. Would you want, do you want to elucidate upon who Bobby Jones is for the people who may not be familiar?
1: Bobby Jones, a basketball player, and he played at North Carolina, um, the Tar Heels, a rival school, of course, to NC State. But yeah, he uh, played at uh, at North Carolina in. The uh 70s, I believe, early 70s. And he also another cool fact he was he the 72 Olympic team in Munich, and that was the team that got robbed of the, of the gold medal. Um, and I think their silver medals are still in some bank ball in Germany
0: somewhere. And he played for Denver Nuggets after he went to NBA and then also Sixers up up until '83 when they won the national championship in NBA. So uh, we're talking about, you know, an accomplished individual. But he was also a good Christian is the impression that I get. And uh, people, fellow players, would not curse around him out of respect for Bobby. And he was such an ethical ethical man that he even called a foul on himself. When the referee called foul on somebody else, he actually told the referee, actually, it was me, not the other person. And referee, knowing Bobby's character, (laughs) accepted that. And that meant that was his fifth foul. He was out. So this is kind of a man we're talking about who he who, uh, tightened up playing for. And when you first met Bobby at, at Charlotte Christian, what was your impression of the person?
1: Oh, I was so nervous. I mean, <laughs> as a 16-year-old kid at the time, I'm about to meet Bobby Jones, who not that long prior had won a world championship with Julius Irving, played in the ACC, played at Carolina, um you know 12 time or eight eight time nba b all-star whatever it is i was just so nervous it took me a little while to get past that but once i did it um uh, really it, it just it was just super cool i mean i got to the point where i would go over to his house and hang out with his family and i i still know his kids to this day i mean i talked to um his uh, son-in-law just two days ago his youngest son just a couple of weeks ago his oldest son lives at the entrance to the swim and racket club my family goes to him I just talked to him hung out with him a few weeks ago before the pool started winding down their season so they they, he he and the family just became like extended family to me um and just something that going into it 30 years ago you never thought it would become like that but it did and um you know, even though years are going by faster and faster, I'm getting <laughs> older and busier and have my family of, of um, three kids and a wife, family of five. It's still cool just to know him and the, and the
0: Joneses, Jones family. Yeah, it is a blessing. And every year, your time will go by faster. Bobby Jones was known as a Secretary of Defense when he was playing because he, would, he was such a good defender, but he also didn't mind playing any role to help the team win. So he had a really good, humble attitude and clearly a a very good work ethic. Now, the reason I was asking about, you know, when you transferred to uh, Charlotte Christian is, was it based on Bobby's coaching skills that you thought you would learn from, or was it more a recognition of Bobby's Christian faith, which you ultimately want to emulate, I guess? So which one was the two? Of the two?
1: Both. um, Very equally, it was, I mean... Almost, you couldn't differentiate you the basketball and the basketball teaching that he could do, but also just the fact that he was a man, he is a man of character and ethic, which is born out of his faith in Christ, out of his Christian faith. So, I, I wanted to be a part of both of all of that, which is part of my factoring in my decision to transfer.
0: And you're a man of faith yourself,
1: yes. I, I'm I'm a, I call myself a Christian. Uh, definitely not perfect, um, but it uh, those years were, were just, you know, the Lord has ordered my steps. I really believe that. Just being able to meet Coach Jones and his staff, Robert Walker was one of his assistants. And very few people watch this fool. Like who's Robert Walker? Well, he just became a friend of mine, and he's deep in his faith, and he's an NFL agent. Um, and I go off to NC State, and pretty much the first day I get connected with a teammate and a couple others that are in um, who share the same faith that I do, and it, it did that to me that was important. Getting plugged in with that kind of crowd, if you will, the, the first week of campus, because who knows? You know, if I go up there the first week and the Lord didn't order my steps to meet these people in NC State. I could have gotten sucked into the wrong crowd and who knows what could have happened to me. But I had just, just uh, I'm, I'm blessed to just been, been pulled into the right people at the right time at different stages of my life.
0: Sure. Back in the 70s and also in the 80s, and I guess obviously in the 90s, early part of the 90s, because you were just mentioning that um, there was such thing as athletes in action. Uh, Christian clubs on college campuses which you know a lot of athletes were part of so I guess you fell into a, a good lot when you're doing that and we will be right back after this important message curious about is you had bobby jones coach you and mentor you not just in basketball but informally in life as well and also indirectly your christian faith how did you end up in state instead of carolina when you were coached by a carolina (laughs) alumni (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah we chuckle at that to this this day when we it comes up every now and then in, in discussions and uh it's just how the recruiting chips fell, really. I mean, there's no magic formula or secret sauce. It just um, Buzz Peterson, who was a coach at NC State at the time and a Carolina athlete himself.
0: Oh yeah, we're we yeah, he was in school when I was in school.
1: Yeah, and he was a sweet mate with Michael Jordan, good friends oh, yeah. with Michael Jordan. Yeah. But Buzz, now was an assistant at NC State. He was the main assistant that recruited me. Um, I remember him coming up to Oak Hill. We played at Oak Hill Academy and like, where is this place? It felt like we were driving you the know, side of a mountain or something. I think we did. And I don't even think we saw McDonald's for like 50 miles on Oak Hill, but I saw Buzz Peterson show up right in the, up in the stands because we we're getting ready to tip it off against Oak Hill. So where I'm going with this, like I said, it was just how the recruiting chips fell. I remember I I, I think I asked that question a couple of times to to Coach Jones, and he said something like, yeah, I tried to talk to Carolina to uh, get them to come recruit you and look at you and take more interest in you, but they never really did. They were, I I think at the time, it was Ed Geth and Serge Swicker were their two big guys that they were recruiting, but that's just the way it happens, you know, different – staffs and different, you know, everybody means well, everybody, you know, these are good people. They just have different ideas on who they want to recruit. And let's face it. I just was not a very good basketball player. Um, you know, in, in high school until, you know, probably my junior year, I started getting pretty good. And then when I got under coach Jones, I got a lot better. Um, so I wasn't like one of these high school, um, Prep all-stars early in my high school career that attracted the radar of Carolina. I kind of seemed like I come on late everywhere I went. I came on late kind of in my high school years um, and, and attracted more and more D1 attention. My last year and a half to two years of high school, similarly in the NBA, I didn't really get good enough to attract some NBA attention the last two years or so of my collegiate career.
0: Well, your accomplishments are nothing to us uh, is that. Anyway, I guess Buzz Peterson had to do what he had to do.
1: Yeah, I can't blame him. I'm tickled that, you know, Buzz, of course, Buzz wanted to be a coach himself and, you know, be an NBA uh, in management and all that. And Eddie Biedenbach was – he helped recruit me. And Eddie Biedenbach went on to coach many years, most of the UNC Asheville um, – hmm. So just neat. Just those guys were just doing what they thought was best for the program that they were charged to support. In that case, NC State.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, I kind of hoped that Buzz would have uh, had a better success as in coaching than he did, because I thought he could have become uh, eventually a coach at Carolina at some point. But that didn't materialize, so, so I was kind of sad about that. Now, when you came home. Came to Raleigh in 1992. You reminded me when I first saw you on TV and when you were playing of Eric Montross two years earlier. Because and th- these are the reasons because you were both seven foot. I mean you were six eleven, but I mean you could you could hardly tell the difference because you were both seven foot. You were both white and you both you had both similar physique and you had similar flat top haircut. And you also had very similar work ethic in a sense that you didn't mind, you know, hitting the ground, picking up the ball. So when you came into ACC, and at this point, Eric Montrose, you know, obviously you knew who he was and he was already established because he was maybe a sophomore or junior when you came in. What were your thoughts about uh, Eric?
1: Oh, I respected him and he, he certainly motivated me to get better because I didn't want to get a beat down from him whenever we played carolina um and he like you said he was established and i think it was my freshman year see carolina won the national title right in 1993 is
0: that right yeah, that yeah was, so with eric
1: with eric so you know i knew that he was an exceptionally hard worker um uh, and had a unique skill set and I knew i, I Really, to kind of get started, I had to emulate him, at least, in, in terms of work ethic and getting better if we were going to have a chance to to beat Carolina, given how good they were. It's interesting you mentioned, you know, Eric, he, you know, I got to get to know him more personally um, as we got into the NBA. He, uh, I can't remember where. He may have been in New Jersey. Or I can't remember where it was, But we uh, did a big man camp together, the Pete Newell big man camp out in Hawaii several years later after our collegiate careers were done. And that camp is about a week and it's out in, in, in Honolulu. Um, I got to know him because you go to camp for a few hours and get your work in the court. And then you got another half the day to hit the beach or the pool or go snorkeling. And we hang out um, two or three, at least two or three days of that week and just hang out and got to know him. And so it was just really cool to see him, that he's uh, a sharp guy and the guy that uh, I admired going into NC State and, and wanted to work hard like he did to improve himself as a basketball player.
0: Yeah, you know, when Eric first came on to ACC, and he's from the Midwest, I think, but when he first came, I thought that he was the first legitimate seven-footer ever to be recruited by Dean Smith. Because you know he had trouble recruiting these big players. I mean, the, the one before him was Ralph Sampson of Virginia. He was seven four, but he you know he didn't have the build. You know, he was kind of a nice guy and he wasn't really aggressive that sort of thing. But when Eric came, I thought that here we have a legitimate seven footer, not just in height, but also in, in terms of girth and strength. And I thought it was a very exciting time. And then you came along, I said, Wow, things are actually changing in this, you know, basketball community. Because I was pretty impressed when you came along with your height. Yeah, you're right. I you know, Eric is a quite intelligent person, but when he was playing, he never said much, and he always did talking with his his playing. So when you played against him, was he an intelligent player, smart player? Of
1: course. Uh, I think the first time we played them, they, if I recall, I didn't destroy us by 30 points. I mean, they just showed up, didn't, you know, I'm sure they were aware of the hype of the rivalry of NC State and Carolina, but, you know, I remember Eric just getting right at it. and They wasted no time, you know, putting us back on our heels, no pun intended. Um, of course, they went on to win the, the national title that year. But on the court, he just – he was not a trash talker. He, he just got out there and, and got the job done.
0: Yeah, he didn't say much during press conferences either. You know, he just basically – Uh, was a player and you know, it's hard for us to realize how intelligent he was until later on, but he was quite uh, intelligent. He was high school National Honor Society and that sort of thing. And as a color commentator now, he's very entertaining and very accurate with all the insights to listen to. But when you came along, I I thought, wow, this this is a Eric Montrose 2.0 because of your similar style and height, you know. It's just that you were two years behind, and then which meant that after Eric left, you had two years of domination in the ACC as well. Did you cross paths with Eric Montrose in the NBA?
1: Yeah, like I said, uh, we played against each other. Uh, he was at New Jersey, I think, the first part of my career. But at, um, I got to know him a little bit as a person when he, at the Pete Newell Big Man Camp, that's a camp that – very few people have probably heard about fans, but the, the players, it's an internal thing. in NBA coaches, NBA management, and NBA players, you know, especially players that are played the power forward and the forward. I'm sorry, the power forward and the center position. They're they're aware of at, at that time the Pete Newell big man camp was in a camp for NBA players who were power forwards and centers. And I got to know them because for that week we were there, we basically hung out during our free time. That's when it really I became more impressed with him, just, you know, his ability to, to um, he, he didn't want to talk ahead impress people. He was such, such fun to hang around, you know, and an intelligent guy and we talked about a lot of things and just, um, I think as I recall, also, I think his wife was there and some of his family and I wasn't married at the time, uh, but uh, I think I had a girlfriend at the time who, Visited in Hawaii, and we all got along. And just that—it's uh, one of those things. You know, you, you, you learn a lot and get to know people with your on-court on experiences in basketball. But when you get to know another player on an off-court experience, it—it it really just sweetens the deal. Sounds good. Now,
0: between 1992 and '96, when you were at NC State, what was the most memorable moment in your basketball career? <laughs>
1: Well, we're staying on this main wagon, uh, beating North Carolina when they were number one ranked <laughs> in the nation. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I and mean, make no mistake, that was just a <laughs> memorable day. And We were not ranked at the time. We or our team getting better, um, I think it was our six or seven games. so it's fairly early in the season. They were number one ranked and had Rasheed Wallace, uh, Stackhouse, and a ton of talent. But we just – Played really well and, and knocked him out that game. And uh, at and Reynolds, the fans rushed the court. I mean, and it's just, it was an amazing experience.
0: Yeah, you had to be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that was, that was painful. I saw it on TV. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say 1996, uh, when you were inducted into uh, Phi Beta Kappa with your uh, BS degree in Applied Mathematics. And also, well, that,
1: that, that was a, an honor, too, an experience, but I'm thinking, you know, on, you asked the question, the basketball That's <laughs> true.
0: I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I'm yeah. sorry. Right. Now, uh, how did you get notified that you were nominated, nominated for the most prestigious scholarship program in the world, which is the Oxford uh, Rose Scholar?
1: That's a great question, Augustus. Um, I think it all started... I'm not exactly sure who was the first person to open their mouth with Rose Scholar Opportunity and Todd Fuller in the same sentence. But I think (laughs) it started with a staff member and communicated that to one of our coaching staff and said, Hey, you know, if you're interested, here's this. And that's how that conversation started. Um, And it, it got entertained for a long, it wasn't just like a, Oh, Here's this. Okay, cool. I'm not interested. Move on. It was entertained and looked at for several weeks. Um, You know, that because it's just not something you just, you know, look at for five minutes and move on. Um, But ultimately, and I did turn down the opportunity to pursue the Rhodes Scholar because of the NBA, because at that time, that was approaching a point in time where I really. Um, felt like I was going to be fortunate to to get drafted in the NBA, um, and it'd be great to have lived two lives at the same time. But that's just kind of a decision I made. I don't regret it. You know, I actually ended up getting. A, I was fortunate to be awarded Augustus a, a graduate scholarship when I was um, appointed. I guess the Payne Weber GTE Male Scholar Athlete of the Year. What came with that um, was a graduate. Scholarship had certain strings attached, nothing crazy, but you had to use it within five years. Um, and I never did because I was playing NBA basketball. Now, looking back, you know, hindsight is always 2020 when you look back on life. We you know that. Uh, and I'm not complaining. I was just fortunate to have how things turned out with my NBA career in those you know, five, six years and then playing overseas. But I would probably look back, try to have attempted to use that graduate scholarship while i was playing in the nba um, today that's easier than 20 years ago Is a virtual learning but hey you know you get a lot of free time in the nba you get two or three hours of practice a day and then if you're doing a, your own workout to get better you still have three or four hours a, a day left over um, i'm a lot busier now than i ever was at any point in the nba but things worked out, and I made the decision that I made in, in, in good faith, and I didn't look back and regret certain decisions that, that were made. I, I understand. what things turned out.
0: I understand. This is the end of Part 1. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in the next time for Part 2. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing to our podcast.